Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So it's a few uh, bits and pieces of reading from different uh, chapters. So the first one is from Acts chapter 2 verse 14, and then verses 29 to 32. So, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then going on to verse 29, he says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And then from Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 20. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign that we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speak about what we have seen and heard. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Oh, good morning. Good morning to you from me. Morning to you if you're visiting us, if you're returning after a time away, uh, if you are online uh, visiting us. Normally, this is where I, I welcome my mother uh, who watches online, but she was here at the nine o'clock, would you know? Uh, so, mum, if you're watching this again online, welcome. And uh, why don't I pray, and then I'll share some thoughts from this scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence. We're open today, and it seems like heaven is open. Lord, and I am open. I'm open to what you would want to say. Pray that you would speak between the lines, the things I've prepared. 
pray that you speak beyond the words. For the sake of your kingdom, to build up this church and to see life, to see the streets of Nottingham paved with gold. Come, Holy Spirit. Anoint us to hear, anoint us to listen. Amy Hughes says, I am watching from plane. She's in Melbourne, so morning, love. <clears throat> All right, I, I once accidentally did a spot of street preaching. How do you do that? Well, I'd moved to California with the aforementioned Amy Hughes. This is about 2008, and they didn't really know what to do with us, and so they sent us out with a camera team to a university called the University of California, Irvine. It's a very secular university, and they sent us with a cross, very much like this one. And the idea was that we were recording some video. We were asking people what they thought of when they saw the cross. So we plonked ourselves in the middle of a campus with this cross and videoed people. And honestly, there was a lot of ambivalence. Lots of people just walked on by. Some people were a bit more anti. But most people were just sort of a bit shocked or just a bit kind of standoffish. And anyway, we were taking a break and we went to the middle of the campus where at lunchtime lots of the students began to gather And I saw that somebody else had had a similar idea to us. There was a guy there wearing a sandwich board. Does that make sense? Like a, yeah, okay, thing on the front, thing on the back. And he was purportedly doing something like what we were doing. He was representing God. Only the message on the front and the back of his sandwich board was quite aggressive. Uh, And he was very much, I'm not sure he was so much pro-God as anti-people. And he was getting into debate, disagreement, even argument. It was getting increasingly heated with some of the students who were also selling their wares in this environment. A crowd began to gather. The disagreement, as I said, became increasingly heated. And I was observing this and just feeling this to be wrong. Feeling this man not to be representing the God who I knew and What happened after that, I'm not exactly sure of. It was the closest to an out-of-body experience I've ever had. But as this circle had formed, I found myself approaching the man. And I, just letting you into a little secret, the first thing I did was was sin. I, I kind of squared up to the guy. And I put my finger almost in his chest and said, no, stop. And then I, I realized what I was doing. This is what are you doing? Starting a fight with this guy is not what, exactly what I was doing, but that was kind of the, the spirit of what I was doing. So I turned away from him and I turned toward the crowd and I just, I went Old Testament. And I just said, This man is lying to you. And then I tried to come up with the next line of my sermon, <laughs> but I hadn't prepared one. And all I could remember was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. I couldn't remember the second half of the verse. (laughs) That whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I couldn't remember that bit. So I just repeated the first bit again. God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. And I did that for a couple of minutes. Anyway, there was a, a video team with us. That was the purpose of the thing, and they got it on video. <laughs> and on that Sunday, they showed it at church. And I'd love to show it you this morning, but it was lost, and I've never seen it again. <laughs> it was a, an extraordinary moment, a completely isolated experience in my Christian life. Never had a moment like it before. I've never had a moment like it since. It was as if something or other, someone took hold of me. And I, I, it, was, it was extraordinary. It really was an extraordinary thing. We're in a series that we've called The Jesus Revolution. And at the heart of this series lies the conviction that, in the words of Leslie Newbegin, we need to have a genuine missionary encounter with our culture. Our culture has a vision of the message that the church carries, which I think is a lot like the man who wore the sandwich board on his chest. And it is a moment where if we're going to see a shift in the atmosphere of our culture, a shift in the atmosphere surrounding the church, we need to come to our culture with a message. It is no longer um, realistic to imagine that our culture will be discipled by Christendom, by this kind of atmosphere of Christianity, because it no longer exists. And we've been talking, I've been trying to use this extended metaphor of R. I don't know if you remember that from a couple of weeks ago. R being the reproduction rate of a virus. And as I said, the R number, if you remember back to COVID, and you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, the R number of many churches, many denominations in this country has fallen below one. And as such, the church in this, in this country and in the West, certainly denominational churches are in rapid decline. That is not true, by the way, I should say this in case you get hopeless, that is really not true of the church across the world. The church across the world is growing rapidly. But in the West, largely we've forgotten how to have the kind of missionary lifestyle that would bring about renewal. And so what we're doing in this series is to try and explore some of the ways of thinking and ways of living that would bring about renewal. In fact, these things are in themselves renewal. And so, so far we've talked about worship. That's what we spoke about uh, last week. And today I want to speak about witness. Because it's my conviction that what, what is required for the church to explore renewal is not some kind of practice that's out there, but the tools that we require to see renewal in the church in our day and age lie within our hands. They're already in us and they're already around us. In fact, as somebody said, the next movement in the church is the movement of the church. So let's look at Acts together. And uh, what we do is we find uh, Acts, as we find the disciples huddled up in Acts chapter 1, terrified and wondering what the goodness is going on. A bit like I was in this, outside this circle, wondering what to do next. What we find is a man called Peter, possessed of a spirit in much the same way that I was Much more compellingly, I think, much more articulately, Peter preaches a much longer sermon after the Spirit of God is poured on him than I did. I got about three lines out that I had to repeat again and again to pad it out. But what we see is a group of disciples completely uh, transformed 
And the, the, the power, I suppose that the metric of the transformation, the evidence, that's probably a better word, of the transformation is the boldness of the disciples. That's the evidence of God's empowering presence with them. In chapter 2, verse 32, we see this. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. That's Peter's sermon. It's a very, very short excerpt from what is ultimately a quite long and complex sermon. And then later on in chapter 4, as Peter and John have been uh, castigated by the, uh, the Jewish officials for... Uh, healing a man and then preaching about Jesus who healed the man, they say this, we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of these disciples is that they testify. And the evidence of the activity of of the Holy Spirit in the church today is a church that knows how to witness to who Jesus is and what he is doing. And we ought to say that the fact that this is going on in the lives of the early disciples, and in fact in Peter's life, is extraordinary given where he has come from. Remember the end of the Gospels? Peter's there warming himself by the fire. And just the stones throw away Jesus is entering into his passion, into his suffering. And Peter is given three opportunities as he warms himself to speak, to witness to his friend and his Lord. And on every occasion, he fails to witness. The Holy Spirit makes the difference. The Holy Spirit empowers Peter on this occasion to witness to Jesus. And what effect does it have? Leaving aside the content of the sermon, there's a lot there. We'll come back to that maybe another week. Well, the effects of this simple witness are extraordinary. 3,000 people respond to the gospel in that moment. Shortly thereafter, the church is scattered through persecution, through suffering. And this message transforms the known world, so much so that later on in the book of Acts, as the disciples wander into yet another town, somebody reports these people who have been turning the world upside down are here also. Imagine that, wandering into your workplace, overhearing the gossip, that fella who's been turning the world upside down, he's come into work. I don't know how well equipped you feel this morning to turn the world upside down, to proclaim, to witness to Jesus, to share your faith. I know that often as I go about my life, I feel, in the words of Coldplay, scared, scared, tired, and underprepared. Maybe that's how you feel. I honestly feel that for us in the church in the UK, the church in the West, it's like the cat has got our tongue. Now, we all know that cats are, I'm not going to say that, there are cat lovers in the room. I'm looking at one or two. 
It's like our voice has been stolen. That's certainly how I feel. So if we're going to witness, if we're going to be, if the Spirit lives in us, we're disciples of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is, is ready to empower speech, the Holy Spirit is ready to empower speech, he's asking again right now for the voice of his church. And the, and the question I, I think he's asking us today is, will you give me your voice? Will you give me your voice again? So, in the next few minutes, I want to apply this. Because if you are ready for this, if, if you're ready to stand up, it doesn't have to look like standing up on your, on your street corner, on a soapbox, or as Mark in the first service said, standing up on a, in a bus, which he did, or in the middle of a campus and shouting, at the top of your voice, the only scripture you can remember. The most witnessing to Jesus happens not in an out-of-body experience, but just in a simple testifying to what we have seen and heard. So how can we do this? Some three simple tools. And given that we're in a kind of a COVID reminiscence with R and all these sorts of things, I want to use an image that I think we perhaps remember from COVID. You remember this one? Hands, face, space, no? Some of you have blacked it out. COVID, what's that? I don't remember. Well, let's, let's look just quickly together. How can we use our hands? How can we use our face? <laughs> How can we use our space? Let's begin, with, let's begin with our face. One of my least favorite quotes in all of Christendom is this. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Some of you are like, I love that one. Well, I don't. And here are two reasons I don't like that. Firstly, St. Francis never said it, okay? Let's, look, let's not misattribute quotes, particularly when the people who were supposed to said it are now dead. So St. Francis never said it. That's point one. That's one reason I don't like it. It's inaccurate. Secondly, I think it drives a division between living out the gospel and speaking the gospel. And that division is never, is never existent in Scripture. So Jesus, as we know, preaches the kingdom. In fact, that's the first thing he does. And then, having preached the kingdom, he goes to live it. He models it. He heals the sick. He delivers people from demonic oppression. He uh, opens the eyes of the blind. And you see that in Jesus' life, these two things live together. They cannot be separated. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 10, 14. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? The open testimony, the preaching of the gospel, using words is essential for people to hear and respond to the gospel. The gospel has to be proclaimed in speech for it to be responded to. Peter himself, uh, he writes a couple of books as well, a couple of letters. In 1 Peter 2.12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, here's how you're to live out your faith. And so far, St. Francis is happy. 
Uh, but then, of course, he goes on just a chapter later, and he, then he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, again, live it out, but speak it out. The two come together. They can't be separated. And they mustn't be made separate. Now, I may be projecting here. I have been known to do that from, uh, on occasion. But I think many of us feel a bit more comfortable with the idea of living out our faith in quiet than perhaps we do with speaking the name of Jesus, to use the phrase that Simon brought to us this morning. Now, some of you may remember me speaking a little while ago about uh, two of the earliest martyrs, two women in the church, they're called Perpetua and Felicity. Here's a, a picture of them. And about 150 years after the end of Acts, both of them found themselves in prison. Uh, they were in prison because they were Christians. Perpetua was a, a young mother, and she and her slave, Felicity, had been imprisoned. They were given an opportunity to recant their faith, save their lives, so that uh, they could go home and she could continue to care for her young daughter. But they wouldn't do it. And simply they uttered these words, four words, I am a Christian. That's a good place to start for any of us hoping and wondering how we might use our face. <laughs> and by face, I mean mouth. <laughs> In case you were wondering. That's how we can use our mouths. A great tool to use our mouths to witness to Jesus. You're simply saying that in a conversation with your friends, with people that you're meeting with, maybe even strangers on the street. You see somebody in distress. I'm a Christian. Can I help? Or maybe you could pair this with the line that, that Peter and John come up with. You, know, you judge for yourselves whether we should obey you or God, but here's what we're saying is we cannot help but testify to what we've seen and heard. What up? A mashup of those two things. I'm a Christian. Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've heard. Another way to say that I'm a Christian. This is what God's done in my life. You know, so often we think that to be effective in witness, we've got to learn complex answers. You know, we need to be able to refute Richard Dawkins should he show up at our front door. Most of us will never have to have a debate with Richard Dawkins. Let's leave that to Rowan Williams, shall we? But every one of us is given an opportunity to communicate the gospel in simple ways to the people who are around us. And the truth is, mostly what people who live around you and people who live around me want is not argument, but a story. A lived example of how the gospel could change their lives. They want to hear why we have the hope that we have. Because what people want more than anything is hope. Each of us can do that. That is how we use our face, <laughs> our mouth. Think about it. Can you say that this week? Here's my challenge. In one conversation, saying to somebody you're speaking to, I'm a Christian. Here's what I've seen. Here's what God's done for me. 
How do we use space? Well, think about space in two different ways. First way I think about space is thinking about the spaces in my life where there is room for conversation with people about Jesus. Now, I've really grown in this area. You know, I've been a professional Christian now for the best part of 15 years. I might not be very good at it, but I've been doing it quite a while. And the thing about being a professional Christian is that you spend a lot of your time talking to Christians. Uh, It's the most extraordinary privilege. I love my job. I love what I do. But it can be easy to live as if witnessing to other people is kind of a thing for other people. And so I've been really blessed in the last few years to find some spaces, some pockets in my life where I can just be a Christian. Not be a vicar, be a Christian. And uh, for me, the golf course has been amazing. The school gate has been extraordinary. The dog walk. You know, you might, you'd be in an environment, you wouldn't talk to anyone, and then as soon as you've got a dog by your side, Clive knows this. He and Barclay are evangelizing the whole world over there in Loudoun. As soon as you've got a dog with you, it's like everybody's your busy mate. Or a child. I, I watch my son Joseph play football pretty much every Saturday morning. I've developed great friendships with the people by the football pitch. These are all environments. These are spaces that I can use to just be a Christian. To say things like, I'm a Christian. In fact, just the other week, I had probably half an hour conversation on a Tuesday night watching Joseph train with a couple of guys about faith. They asked me everything. What do you do? What's church like? What do you think of other religions? The whole thing. We spent half an hour. I heard their story. I shared my story. It was extraordinary. It just cropped up because there was space. Now, I live a really busy life, and I know you do too. But finding spaces, pockets in your life where that can happen, it's really valuable. Maybe you want to do an audit this week. Where are the spaces in my life? Where are the moments where I can be a bit more intentional about these kinds of conversations? But then it's having the space is one thing, but then making the space in the conversations is another thing again. So how do we do that? Well, I remember somebody saying about wearing a dog collar. This person said that the thing about wearing a dog collar is that what the dog collar says, the clergy collar, not an actual dog's (laughs) collar, Wearing an actual dog's collar, not, not good. <laughs> the clergy collar. What the clergy collar, the dog collar says, said this person, is that whatever conversation you want to have, I can go there. Now, I, I rarely, if ever, wear a clergy collar. But what about if we took that as Christians and we said, what it means to be a Christian is that I am known as the person in my community for making space so that whatever conversation you want to have, I can go there. Church, we live in a shallow culture. We have got to be people of depth. How often does somebody say, how are you? I'm good! How are you? Plastic smiles, 
painting on the positivity? What about if we were honest? Do you know I'm... Whatever honesty is for you this week, honesty for me would look like, do you know, I'm grieved this week. I'm grieved by what I hear in the news. I'm seeing on the, on the news. I'm grieved by the massacre in Israel. I'm grieved by what I see happening in Palestine. I'm grieved. I'm grieved by what I see in the church. I'm grieved. How are you? What's happening in your life? What's going on for you at the moment? Tell me. Being people of depth is one of the ways I think we can create space. It doesn't have to be intense. It can be deep joy as well, deep laughter. But I think being honest and listening is one of the key ways. Listening is one of the key ways we can create space for the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if in those physical spaces, wouldn't it be great if on the golf course I was known as the best listener? I'm not sure I got that yet. At the school gate, do you know that fellow over there? I don't know what he does, but he's a good listener. He'll listen. Okay, that's how we create space, finally. What about our hands? There are so many ways that we can... Live out the gospel in service to the people around us. Use our hands in that way. But I want to say one thing. And again, it's a a simple phrase that we can use. And here's the phrase. How can I pray for you? I'm a Christian. Here's what God's done in my life. That was face. How are you? That's space. Here's, Here's hands. How can I pray for you? Or rather, not how can I pray for you, can I pray for you? So I've shared with you a whole series of my failures in this area, haven't I? But lest you think that I never do anything uh, approaching obedience. Had a wonderful opportunity to uh, obey the still small voice two weeks ago on Tuesday. We have a rule at Trinity Trinity Staff Prayers on Wednesday. We tell stories almost every week, but the rule is it's got to be within the two-week time limit. And I knew I was going to have to speak to you this Sunday on this subject. So when I was leaving the school gate in one of those spaces with a golf friend, one of my closest friends, who I've met on the golf course and got to know through the golf course, not a member of the church, not part of the church, some of his family come here. And he was hobbling And he's got a job where he sits down a lot and he had a problem with his bottom of his back, his sciatic nerve, he felt. And he really couldn't walk very well at all. He was hobbling the whole way down the school, uh, from the school gate to near my front door, which is where we sort of usually part ways. And I knew at the top of the hill, I knew I had to ask him if I could pray for him. So I did that and I resolved in my heart that I would. I made the decision early that I would. But I delayed obedience simply because I thought, well, I'm going to work up to it. So we did some golf chat, talked about dogs and various other things like we tend to do together. And then just before we got to the bottom of the hill near where my house is, I said, look, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. And I made a really good decision in that moment. I didn't do that thing I normally do, which is where I do it on the street corner then and there, because I knew that if I did, I'd get embarrassed. And he knew he would get embarrassed, and he knew what would happen. I'd do one of those kind of drive-by prayers, right? 
where it's like you throw it out there just in vague hope that something will happen. And then you hurriedly go along your way, hoping never to see that person again. So I said, look, would you come to my house? He said, yeah. So he came in. And, you know, we, cr- we had to cross a street after I'd asked him. And there was a car about 30 meters away. I'd forgotten that my friend was in such pain. And there was a moment of genuine fear where I thought, he's not going to make it. He's going to be run over before he arrives into my house. And then I'll have a real problem. I'll be raising the dead. (laughs) Not just healing a back. Anyway, he did make it. He staggered across. And he was really, really limping. So we went into our house. And Amy was finishing up mopping the floor. If you're still watching, love, that's for your benefit. And... uh, Actually still wearing a pajamas, I said, Amy, come and join us. So, so we prayed. He stood up and we laid hands on. Because we were in our house, I didn't feel like we were in a rush. So I did what we do on Sunday. And I just said, come Holy Spirit. And I explained to my friend what we were doing. He's never had anything like this happen to him before. So I laid my hand on him, on his back, just the bottom of his back. And I expressively did what I don't tell people to do in prayer training. I went round the back of him because I knew if I looked at his face, it was over. I knew that that would be bad for me. I'd lose all faith if I looked at his face. I went around the back and just laid on a hand, and Amy laid her hand over my hand, and we waited. And we just invited the Lord, and we waited for a few minutes. Then I began to pray and actually began to declare uh, healing over his body. And after a while, I said, do you feel anything? He said, it's really hot. And so I then did, and my faith was growing because I could sense the presence of the Lord. And I said, well... Why don't you try it? And he did. You should have seen his face. (laughs) He walked about pain-free in my front room. He said his pain had gone from, I don't know, an eight or a nine he said it felt, as he left my house, he said it felt a little stiff, but the pain had completely gone. Later that day, he played tennis. And we, we've been talking about it since, and um, I, we, Amy and I said when we were on speakerphone, I, I see him most days, we said, have you told your wife? He said, yeah, I've told everybody at work. <laughs> we cannot stop testifying to what we have seen and what we've heard. Can I pray for you? Do you know that the Spirit lives within you? If a fool like me can pray for his friend, then you can. (laughs) We can all do that. Is it our intention? And I think this is where we need to really resolve, even in this moment, Because I think the issue with us as a church is that we've lost the intention to share our faith. Maybe you've delegated it to fools like me. Maybe you've just been so disappointed with a lack of fruit the sense I have for the church and for this church specifically but for the church at this moment is that mercy is at the door 
That's the phrase. I keep repeating that. Mercy is at the door. Mercy is at the door for folks who come into this church who don't know Jesus. If you're one of those people this morning in this room, you're one of those teaching people, teaching people watching online, mercy is at the door for you. There is mercy available for you in the presence of Jesus. But mercy is also at the door for people on their way out. Grab mercy today. Grab mercy. And take it. Use it. Send it out there with your hands, with your face, in your space. Because I think that when we catch this, that is renewal. The Jesus revolution is when the church takes up when the church takes up its calling to share and witness to what we have seen and heard. Would you stand with me? And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. We're coming to an end of our time together, but I'm just going to lead a good old-fashioned ministry time. And so what I'm going to do, for those of you who are new, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. not yet going to invite the band to join me at the front. Now, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to move. We believe at this church that, um, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit. But I also believe in a second blessing. It's after the first, before the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth. Just believe that the Holy Spirit is available again and again for the people of God. And so I'm going to invite him to come and move. And all you need to do is receive. Now, this is the point at which many of us start getting religious. We start praying. Don't pray. Don't pray in tongues. Don't pray anything. Just receive. And I'm just going to invite the Spirit of God. Just be open. So Holy Spirit, come.